Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is the third episode, oh yeah, of Dopest Nation. Yeah. <laughs> three weeks in a row. Three weeks in a row. Episode three. We're still going. This is probably the longest commitment I've ever kept. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, though, thank you so much for tuning in last week. That Back to the Future episode was something I wanted to do. It was one of the things that I had like planned, but was questioning if I was going to do something like that, if it was going to be corny. But you guys responded. The feedback, the comments that I got online after that episode aired was pretty amazing. And the conversation that continued throughout the week leading up to tonight, right now, during this recording session, was amazing. Being able to think about what it's like to get stuck in regretting the past and worrying about the future and figuring out a way to be mindful and to get to a level of acceptance and gratitude to where I can just keep my feet firmly planted in today was awesome to have on the forefront of my mind every day this week. So thank you for that. And I hope you'll like this week's episode. Before we get into it, though, just a gentle, friendly reminder. If you haven't already yet, check out dopelessnation.com. It's the hottest sober merch and recovery apparel on the planet. Seriously, dopelessnation.com. Also, don't forget to like, follow, and share us on all your socials, whatever it is you're on, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. And if you also haven't already, subscribe to this podcast. You're missing out. If you're not subscribed, you won't get a notification when the new episode comes out. Anyways, let's get into this. Oh, yeah. The kiss of death. (laughs) So my sponsor called it. That's what my sponsor called it. He called it back years and years ago, and I wish I would have listened to him. This is one of the biggest things, one of the biggest things that I've struggled with in and out of sobriety. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about cupcaking. And if you still don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about relationships. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, guy with three years talking to the girl with three months. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, seriously, I ain't trying to cap nobody for real. But um, this is one of those topics. This is the subject, right? Like, this is it. Cupcaking. This is the thing that has killed more of my friends than drugs itself. Love. True love. Falling for her. She's the one. And it's crazy. I think about that song by Beyonce, Drunken Love, because that's literally what it is. I go from being drunk on alcohol, sobering up, trying to do something about my sobriety, and then just getting intoxicated with... (laughs) Thank you, yoga pants. You are now my higher power. Yoga pants, I pray to you. Please keep me sober today. Thank you for all the blessings you have bestowed upon me in my life. Oh, how I love you, yoga pants. Yo, it's bullshit. Hey, guy, snap out of it. Hey, woman, stop it. People are dying. 
I don't know how else to say it. Like, this is the main thing outside of work and steps. Or I'm sorry, this is the main thing besides not work and steps that trips me up every time. Getting caught up with getting caught up in getting distracted. And that distraction usually being somebody else because love. (laughs) Cupcaking. My sponsor literally called it the kiss of death. And what he meant by that was you can get a guy or girl who's completely on fire. And forgive me, see, because like right now I'm talking 12 steppers. If you're tuning in and a 12-step program isn't what you follow, I hope you can still find value out of this. But I'm speaking directly to the 12 steppers right now. But this is what my sponsor told me. He He said, Eli, recovery literally stops when you become infatuated with somebody else. And what he meant by that was the distraction, the infatuation, the clouds that enter my mind in early sobriety, meaning having not yet worked steps, meaning not discovering who I am yet, which implies I'm still a selfish individual. I'm still a very scared person, probably struggling with a lot of codependent tendencies. He said, Eli, the moment you start cupcaking is the moment your recovery stops. And I wish you the best. And it's crazy how much I pushed back on that notion. Like, how could he know? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know this relationship. He doesn't know this girl. What does he know about my personal relationship? He doesn't know. I would get so offended. I would get so defensive. And looking back on it, it's kind of funny. He was right. It's crazy how remembering these moments when he would give me this warning, because he's probably seen it a million times over, Hey, hey, yo, bro, listen, if you do that, if you go there, if you go with her, if you guys do what you do, it ain't going to end good. And I thought he was just trying to ruin my day. I learned so many lessons in the process of breaking my heart and keeping another individual hostage. Seriously. And I couldn't see it. I literally could not see it. All these warnings from him. The, the feedback that I would get from my support group. Hey, man, probably a bad idea, man. You should probably, like, come back to reality now. I would get so defensive. I would get angry. Like, I could not see what they were trying to tell me. How could they know? And it really tripped me up. One of the trickiest things to do in recovery is practicing mindfulness and awareness after putting the dope down and learning how to stay sober. Emotional sobriety is paramount when it comes to remaining sober. I believe that if I can grow in the areas of low self-esteem, codependency, anger management, and intimate relationships, then the act of not self-medicating becomes extremely easy. Those four areas are very important to address and work on while getting sober. I use because I am obsessed with the desired effect. 
When I put the drug in me, I feel better. So when I'm not feeling good about my image or who I am as a person, I want to medicate. When I'm acting out in a codependent way, I want to medicate. When I'm struggling with anger, I want to medicate. I don't feel good. I want to feel good. Drugs help me feel great. Listen, if it weren't for all the consequences that came along with using, I'd be so up right now. A wise man once told me that relationships would be the hardest thing I'll ever do in recovery. Those words never rang truer in my life than the day I finally got into one. It takes work. It takes patience. It takes a whole lot of faith and trust. It takes looking inward and being mindful of many things. Things like who I am as a person, my morals, my ability to listen and show empathy, and making sure I'm living honestly with integrity. It takes courage and many other things that only come by living a holistic recovery lifestyle. When I do those things, my relationship is very rewarding for myself and for my partner. Even through conflict, we have the ability to come out stronger. So factoring in all that, imagine being with someone with low self-esteem, somebody that struggles with codependency and is quick to anger, aka untreated alcoholism, also known as somebody not working steps, also known as a newcomer in the rooms, a.k.a. not doing sh- their sobriety. Now imagine getting into a relationship when you haven't grown in those areas. On top of all that, you're still figuring out how to simply stay sober. What a beautiful recipe for disaster. It would be a miracle if I didn't use in the end. If I haven't grown in those areas, it's safe to say that I still don't feel good about myself. And if I don't feel good about myself, my knee-jerk reaction is to find something to make me feel better. And if the lifestyle of a person in active addiction is codependent in nature, imagine how potentially deadly it would be to engage in an intimate relationship. I mean, let's be honest. Relationships make us feel good. We feel wanted. We feel important. Depending on the situation, we feel attractive. The endorphins are flowing. The dopamine is at an all-time high. Not to mention the sex is probably amazing. Relationships make us feel good. And if we haven't done the work to grow in the areas of emotional sobriety, we will quickly find that being in a relationship has become our new fix. It's intoxicating and obsessive. The desired effect is immediate. I mean, it almost sounds like using. It sounds like what it feels like when I'm drinking. Now the term drunken love, quote unquote, isn't such a stretch, is it? And that's why it's recommended to stay out of a relationship your first year in sobriety or depending on who's sponsoring you until you finish your steps or whatever. It's not because sex is bad or being in love is wrong. It's because relationships make you feel good too soon, too often. I need to give myself an opportunity. Wait, I got to say that again. It's because relationships make you feel good too soon, too often. I got to give myself an opportunity to recover in all areas of my life before I can think about anybody else. 
Essentially, I've replaced the drug with a person, most likely another person in recovery, because those bonds are deep. And now there's two lives at stake. I got a hostage now. This game, this business of in sobriety, in early sobriety, is dangerous. I'm not trying to scare anyone away from pursuing a relationship. I'm simply saying to be mindful and aware. Assess where you're at in your personal recovery before you start messing with somebody else, especially if they're in recovery as well. And now I want to tell you about that story about (laughs) falling in love with the girl that held the door or whatever at that 12-step meeting. I remember one of my first meetings. I was at an all-time low. I had just gotten out of jail. I looked like sh**. My car had gotten repossessed. I was jobless, on probation, and coming off of painkillers, my real true love. When I got to the meeting, there was this woman standing by the door greeting everybody. She made eye contact with me, smiled, gave me a hug, and told me her name. She opened the door and pointed towards the coffee. I'd finally found her, the one I had been waiting for my whole entire life, my cupcake. I was in love. I sat through the whole meeting obsessing over her. I couldn't keep my eyes off her. When it was her turn to share, I thought I heard the voice of an angel. I imagined what it would be like to date her. I imagined the highs and the lows of being in a relationship with her. I thought about our wedding, how many kids we would have. I thought about the breakup and the makeup sex. I thought about her cheating on me and imagine what it would be like to win her heart back. I saw us growing old and dying together. (laughs) The perfect couple, in love until the very end. I pictured all that in 60 minutes. The entire time I was at the meeting, that's all I thought about. I didn't hear anything about recovery that evening. I didn't hear a solution to my problem with drink and drug. I just sat there and crazily obsessed over this woman. She was the one perfect for me. God made her for me. I never saw her again after that. I couldn't even tell you her name. (laughs) My first few months in early sobriety, that's kind of how it went. I would show up in a meeting, meet a woman, live an entire life with her in my head for 60 minutes and go home. I did that dozens of times with dozens of women. I know none of their names and they have no idea who the hell I am. It was a miracle I never engaged or acted on the thoughts going through my sick, unrecovered head. I can't imagine the damage I would have caused in those meetings. I'm blessed to have had sponsors who told me to leave the women alone, to give them a chance to recover too. They told me two dead batteries can't start a car. I'm grateful for the men in my life who instilled good values in me during early sobriety this time around. I haven't lived a perfect life in recovery, but I've been super mindful and aware of the fact that I don't want to hurt anybody. If I'm still creating chaos and causing as much damage in recovery that I used to cause while in active addiction, what's the point in staying sober? I might as well use if I'm going to be a sober scumbag. So today I focus on myself, who I am as a person. I work on my self-esteem every day. Some days are better than others. I combat codependency 
whenever it rears its ugly head. I address the areas in my life where I may struggle with anger and find ways to work through them. I'm a better man for it. And because of that, I have the ability to practice being in a healthy relationship because I've gained so many tools while on this recovery journey and I've found all those to be indispensable, interchangeable, and useful within my intimate relationships. It's been a long time since I've walked into a meeting and asked a woman to marry me in my head. (laughs) My hope for you, if you've listened up to this point, is that you find a place in your life where you have fallen in love with yourself, knowing all the good and all the bad that makes up who you are. I think when we can become our own best friend without all the false pride is when we finally become an awesome partner for somebody else. I hope that happens for you, if that's what you're looking for. So if you do decide to date in early recovery, I mean, there's some tips, you know, there's some tricks you can try out, you know, some things that might be red flags and warning signs to kind of save yourself before hurting yourself and somebody else. And, And the first one being to pay attention to your sense of self. If it's getting lost, get out of the relationship and rediscover your sense of self. Work closely with a sponsor or a therapist or with your accountability group, your support group, and be honest with them. If you find yourself hiding details about your dating life from your sponsor or your counselor or your friends, that's a huge red flag. And, you know, this goes without saying, but don't date anybody who's getting f***ed up. <laughs> and look out for old patterns. If a date reminds you of a previous partner or relationship when you were abusing substances, the relationship may not be a healthy one. And listen, you'll, you'll date again when you're ready. You're not missing out on anything. There's no rush. Like, don't be that guy who shares like Shakespeare in the middle of the meeting, talking about how spiritually fit he is, only to find him outside afterwards, talking to girls that have like days sober. You're not missing out on anything. Don't be that woman who thinks that Prince Charming is hiding in the corner of a big book study because he just moved out of sober living. (laughs) Oh my God, I don't want to cap nobody. It's just the honest truth. You're worth so much more. Your recovery is worth so much more. And so you guard your heart. You keep that stuff close to your chest. Like, beware of wolves, the predators, that are dressed in sheep's clothing. It ain't gonna end well. Seriously, I almost lost a friend this week because he was wrapped up in a relationship. This guy saved my life. Like, the only reason I'm talking to you right now is because this guy decided to work steps with me. And whatever, he slipped up a short time afterwards, but he came back, was getting better. And in the process of getting better, 
he thought he fell in love, found the one. And the moment that drunken love happened, the moment that infatuation took hold, recovery stopped. He almost died over it. Had to bring him back to life with Narcan. And I don't know about you, but I'm just tired of losing people. It's getting old. We get better. We get sober. We come off the drink. We come off the drug. Only to die over a person. It's not right. So maybe the solution is learning how to love ourselves first. Maybe the key to this particular problem, aside from working steps and getting better, is falling in love with ourselves. Learning what self-love is. So we can get to a point where we can love somebody else or receive love. I don't know. So... Like last week, I want to leave you guys with some quotes pertaining to this conversation we've been talking about. Maybe somewhere in this podcast, you've heard something. I don't know. So here it is. It says, you yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe deserve your love and affection. How you love yourself is how you teach others to love you. You deserve someone who makes you feel like the otherworldly creature you are, yourself. Treat them like you never want to lose them. Because we accept the love we think we deserve. Be so completely yourself that everyone else feels safe to be themselves too. I love that one. Love yourself first and everything else falls into line. You really have to love yourself to get anything done in this world. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. I'm gonna love myself. No, I don't need nobody else. You are enough. A thousand times enough. Owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing that we'll ever do. This is not the moment to wilt into the underbrush of your insecurities. You've earned the right to grow. You're going to have to carry the water yourself. And to love yourself, to love oneself, is the beginning of a lifelong romance. You can't beat that. I mean, that's the hit right there, I guess. Learning how to love ourselves. Learning how to love and be loved. Before ever thinking about giving any of that away. And maybe, just maybe, we might live to stay sober one more day 
and maybe throughout that day, help somebody else to achieve sobriety. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for tuning in to episode three, The Kiss of Death. (laughs) I'm sorry if this one maybe rubbed you the wrong way or, you know, if you don't agree with it, that's cool. You know, there's going to be more episodes, more topics, whatever. I'm not here to piss anybody off. I'm just here to speak my truth, sharing my experience in the hopes that I can help somebody else. So thank you, thank you, thank you a million times. And we'll see you next week.